Lord Jesus, we're grateful that we can read your word and that it transforms our lives by allowing us to encounter you. God, I pray this morning I'm feeling a little under the weather. It's been a long week. I'm behind on so many things. My life feels so chaotic in so many ways. God, I pray that I know people watching this, people here feel much the same way. Life runs in so many directions, and I pray that you will help us to find stillness in this moment and that in our stillness we will hear you speak. Speak through me, not because of who I am, but because of who you are and what you have done in me and what you want to do through me. Amen. In the next few weeks, I turn 40 years old, and I know, I know, I look a lot older, um, and I act a lot less mature than 40, but it's true. In just a few short weeks, I'm going to be 40 years old, and I, I really can't believe it. I remember, like, my parents being 40, my aunts and uncles being 40, and I'm like, how, I'm still a kid, right? How, did, how am I turning 40? Life expectancy for a man in Canada is 82 years old, and in England, it's 80. In the United States, it's 77. So I'm entering the back half of my life. No matter how you look at it, I've only got, at best, maybe half that life left. And that's a really sobering thought. I mean, to butcher the old analogy of the barkeep and the beer mug, my life is either half empty or half full, but either way, it's half. And I've been thinking a lot about turning 40 the last few weeks, and I've been increasingly feeling kind of restless, wondering if I should try something new or if I should take a risk or go on an adventure. And I realized, like, maybe I'm having a midlife crisis. Like, I feel like that. Like, maybe it's time to buy a Harley, you know? Um, The definition of a midlife crisis is a period of transition in life when someone begins to struggle with their identity and their self-confidence. It can happen anywhere between 40 and 60. It affects both men and women. And while it's not a clinical disorder, it is psychological in nature. Or in other words, we might say a midlife crisis is when you wrestle with who you are and what you're spending your life on when you realize you won't live forever. And when you're a teenager, you're kind of like, I'm invincible, I'm gonna live forever. And you turn 40 and you're like, oh yeah, it's half empty or half full. Barbara Haggerty, in her book, Life Reimagined, a book about um, how to find purpose in life in your midlife crisis, she said this, I admitted there were moments more and more frequent when I seemed to be pushing a wheelbarrow full of dense, unfulfilled ambition up a steep gravel path. It was exhausting, but I didn't know any other way to live. When I read that line in that book, I, I felt that line deeply because I've had all these ambitions and dreams. I had all these dreams about what my church would look like. And after uh, six years of Horizon, five years of Horizon, whatever it's been now, I, I wanted it to look different than this. I have dreams for what my marriage would look like. That's not because my marriage isn't good. I love Darby. She's the best woman in the world. But it looks different than I thought. I had dreams for what it would look like to be a parent, and I love my little girl. If you know anything about me, you know I love my daughter. But it looks different. Reality looks different than my dreams. And it's not wrong to be ambitious, but it is wrong to let your ambition rob you of enjoying what you already have. So what do we do when all your dreams and your ambitions don't turn out how you expected? When you realize you don't quite have as much time as you thought you did to get everything done, to find meaning and purpose and really make a statement on this world? Well, our culture has a really simple answer to this ache, right? Buy new things. That'll make you feel better. Get new things. Get a new spouse. Get a new job. Get a new car. Get a new look. 
I went out and got a haircut, so I might be trying, the, trying for that. Uh, but what, what happens when we get new? Like, it makes us feel be- better for a little while. It works for a little while, but midlife gives you the wisdom to see that new doesn't give you anything more than you already had. What happens with anything new? It eventually gets old. Yeah, only new things only give you a passing hope that somehow, some way, this time things might be different. Um, I have a friend who every week buys a new video game, and he's always like, that next one's going to be the one that really, really satisfies me. And he just keeps buying more and more because new doesn't satisfy for the long term. There's a difference between middle age and youth, and that's that you have been alive long enough to know that the flashiness of something new doesn't last. Having more stuff around you will never fill the hole inside of you. Midlife gives us other perspectives as well. The real world doesn't give out trophies for effort. Sometimes we work really hard and it fails. Sometimes you do your best and it isn't good enough. Sometimes despite all your best efforts, people don't like you. As a people pleaser, that one really gets me. Sometimes I work really hard and just people don't like me. We just don't click. Um, When we make feeling okay inside ourselves dependent on everything being okay around us, outside of us, we're never really going to be okay because we can't control what's happening around us. We can't control how people respond. We can't control results, but we can control who we are becoming by how we are responding to other people's responses and the results of things around us. So what should we be spending our life on? What should be our ambition? What really fulfills us? What really fulfills that ache inside of us that turns from a dull whisper into a deafening roar in midlife? I think 1 Timothy 6.6 has the answer. Becoming like Jesus and being content are the greatest treasures we can find in life. That's what Paul wrote to Timothy. Becoming like Jesus and learning to be content are the greatest treasures in life. These are the things that are going to satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. So I want to invite you to join me online or in person over the next few weeks as I go through a midlife crisis. And I want to take you along with me. I want to make this the best midlife crisis ever. Let's explore who we're becoming, and let's talk about how to become non-anxious people, agents of love, people who live and love like Jesus, and find out how to enjoy what we have without becoming apathetic to what we can change. Now, some of you are already past 40. Others have a long way to go to get there, but I think all of us can benefit from learning and being reminded about the importance of contentment. That's really what this series is going to be about. How do we find contentment where we are while not becoming apathetic about what we could change? Contentment is the only thing you can get that doesn't make you want more of it to keep feeling happy. Anybody love chips? Chips? I love chips. Um, Eating chips never satisfy you, though, because you eat one and you're like, hmm, that was good. I need another one. That next one will be even better. And then you eat that one, you're like, I need another one. I need another one. Remember that old campaign slogan for Lay's potato chips? Bet you can't eat just one. Remember that? Some of us are old enough. I'm 40, so I'm old enough. Um, Chips are designed to be salty, so we want more of them. Our happiness, chips tell us, lie in the next bite. But then what does the next bite say? No, your happiness lies in the next bite. And then the next chip says, no, your happiness lies in the next bite. And we want more and more and more bites. Now compare that with a really satisfying meal like a steak that fills you up and leaves you like, ah, that was a good meal. I don't want any more. I've had enough and it was excellent. Chips are cheap. 
but you always need more and more and more to try to fill the hole. Steaks are expensive, but they can satisfy you. Contentment's like that. It's a slow, expensive um, purchase, but it satisfies you where chips, like buying things, aren't going to ever satisfy. It's easy to keep putting a merchandise or entertainment band-aid on our ache for meaning or purpose. The secret to contentment is, though, there is no secret. Contentment is hard work. Apathy is easy. Just being like, whatever, I don't care. Contentment, though, is hard. Your greatest accomplishment in life will be who you become, what kind of person you end up being. And most of us become people by default rather than by design. Our default setting is never contentment. It's angst. It's anxiety. It's apathy. My tendency is to reflect on the 40 years of life that I've had already and say, well, I accomplished very little. <coughs> I did very little that mattered or had meaning. I haven't reshaped the world or shaken the culture. I've never done anything big or history book worthy. This self-pity and negative self-reflection is sometimes called the midlife malaise. But the people who have shaken culture and reshaped the world, whose names will be in history books, feel this exact same way when they turn 40. Accolades won't give us the meaning we're looking for. In fact, Barbara Haggerty, in her book Life Reimagined, she interviewed some of these people who have been huge politicians or Nobel Peace Prize winners or have made millions of dollars, and they felt exactly the same way. And so she had this conclusion. It's not about your economic level, your education level, or your achievement level. This is some, about something else. I would feel the way I feel turning 40 if my church plant was 10 people, if it was three people, if it was 1,000 people, if it was 3,000 people. I would feel this way if I made $10,000 a year, $100,000 a year or a million dollars a year because this is about something different than just achievement and economic success. In 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am just like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just making noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains but I do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. What's Paul saying? You can be the smartest person around, but if you're not a loving person, it doesn't matter. You can be the greatest speaker who draws the biggest crowds, but if you're not loving, it doesn't matter. You can take the biggest acts of faith. You can change the world with your faith, but if you're not a loving person, you're wasting your life. Our hearts long for us to become non-anxious presences and people of love. More accomplishments and accolades won't satisfy us. Becoming better people People who live and love like Jesus will. The goal of life, the purpose of life is to become like Jesus. If you want to be satisfied, if you want to not have this ache and angst like I do, like 40 years, what have I done? Who are you becoming? Become a person of love. At the end of life, you won't reflect on how much you've done or how much you've made or how much you bought because all those things go away. What lasts forever is you. You will reflect on how well you've loved and who you've been loved by. We were created to be images of God. And in the words of John in 1 John 4, 8, anyone who does not love does not know God.
because God is love. As we get to know God better, we should become more loving, and the goal of life is to become loving people like Jesus. So until we become people of love, we will feel like we are wasting our lives because we're spending it on things that aren't eternal. The lifelong endeavor to love like God, to love God, to love like God has loved us will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Year after year, if you're becoming more loving, you won't wonder if you've been wasting your life. Paraphr- um, to paraphrase Augustine, he says, our hearts are restless until they find our, their rest in God's love. When we are loved by him and we become like that love, then we are satisfied. Now we have to talk about love here for a moment because our culture loves the idea of love. We really do. Um, we love concepts and causes, but we struggle to love people. We're a lot better at clicking like on something than we are at actually loving the person who lives next to us. Um, I've seen articles by both the right and the left, the political right and left, who have commented on how people who follow their ideology will like and share a post about a cause, but won't actually act on that cause in their neighborhoods. And I've seen both conservatives and liberals complain about this. Like, it's hard to get people engaged past just clicking like and sharing something, actually getting out and doing it. But in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus summed up the 600 plus laws of the Torah like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Your whole being should just marinate in God's love. And this is the first and the um, this is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus sums up the entire Old Testament scriptures at this. Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus made love very street level here. He didn't give us a lot of wiggle room. He says, love your neighbors. Love the people we are in closest proximity to. See, love is easiest at a distance. It's hardest up close. It's easy to love the idea of a person, but up close, love gets real. Love gets messy. Love gets hard. We have to love them even when we're close enough to see their faults and their failures. We have to love them when they're close enough to be in their in our way, when they're close enough to see us for who we really are and call us out on it. It's really hard to wear a mask or be fake when you love up close because people see you for who you are. They see the good, the bad, and the ugly. When we love people, we see every day the frustrating family member, the oblivious neighbor, the lazy coworker. When we become someone who loves even the most difficult people, we won't spend time wondering if our lives are wasted because love is life. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how to become people of love, and we're going to talk about how to learn how to be content. That's going to be the next few weeks of our series because I'm turning 40. I want my life to matter and have meaning, and that means becoming a person of love. That doesn't mean making a lot of money, getting a lot of accolades, achieving a lot of things. It means becoming a person who loves. And it means learning how to be content because God has already given me so much. So that's what we're going to talk about. That's the agenda for the next few weeks. And just a heads up, the answer won't be willpower. Like, just will yourself to love more. Will yourself to be more content. How has that worked out? Like when you see that ad for something you really want to buy, a new board game comes out, and I'm like, I need it. Just will myself not to want it. It doesn't work. If we could will ourselves to become loving people, that would be easy. Everyone would be loving. But what we can't do by trying, we can do by training. 
And so we're going to talk about the rhythms and the habits that Jesus had that make us into people like Jesus, that make us into agents of love, into people who are content, people who um, we can look at and say who we are becoming is truly satisfying. Okay, so before I pray, here's some things to reflect on this week. Ask yourself, who am I becoming? Am I becoming a person by default or by design? Second question, am I content or am I simply apathetic? Am I just like, whatever, I just don't even care anymore, I'm not going to even try? Or am I truly experiencing contentment? Am I more loving today than I was last year? Am I more loving today than I was three years ago? Am I more loving today than I was five years ago? Am I growing in my apprenticeship to Jesus by loving my neighbors made in his image? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm turning 40. And really, when I imagine 40, I just imagine myself with so many accolades and achievements and getting so much accomplished and done. And, you know, I had all these boxes I wanted to have checked by the time I'm 40. And what I found is those boxes don't really satisfy. What really satisfies is knowing you, experiencing your love, and becoming an agent of your love in the world. God, forgive me for so after so often chasing after things like applause and accolades that I think will make me feel better, that will fill this hole inside of me when our hearts are restless until they're filled with your love. God, I pray for those watching online, for those here, that you will teach us over the next few weeks how to be content, how to lean into your love and experience your goodness and know that you are enough that we don't have to be more to experience your love because you are everything for us. We're so grateful that you laid down your life, that you died in our place so that we might be called sons and daughters of God, so we might learn from you how to become people of love and live a life of contentment. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.